On JPAM's Closer Look, we will be talking to leading authors published in the Journal of Policy Analysis and Management on timely topics such as healthcare, education, immigration reform, and economics. I'm very excited to talk to today's guest, Dr. Melissa Carney, who is the Neil Moskowitz Professor of Economics at the University of Maryland. Thanks for making time for us. We're actually recording this the day after the election, so double thank you for making time for us on a a busy day with lots of news breaking, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, and I welcome the distraction today. Yeah, we all need it. So thanks again for coming on. The paper we're talking about today is called Increasing Community College Completion Rates Among Low-Income Students, Evidence from a Randomized Controlled Trial Evaluation of a Case Management Intervention. This paper is recently published in the Fall 2020 issue of JPAM, the Journal of Policy Analysis and Management. And the title, I think, is quite descriptive. You and your colleagues at Notre Dame's Wilson Sheehan Lab for Economic Opportunities are studying the impact of a pretty interesting and novel intervention that's designed to boost community college student outcomes. The intervention and your paper generally are motivated by the fact that community college completion rates are pretty low, lower than you might expect, and this is particularly true for economically disadvantaged students. And while this isn't a new concern, and researchers and policymakers have long been worried about community college completion rates, a lot of that focus in the past has been on financial burdens or financial limitations, maybe academic challenges or lack of academic preparation. And the policies have really focused then on financial aid or remedial academic support. But your study is pretty different in the sense that you're focusing on what you refer to as non-academic challenges that students face. What are those non-academic challenges, those life barriers that you talk about, and how might they disrupt schooling? So the way we came at this as poverty scholars and our implementing partners are people who they work with people in poverty. And so those were the types of barriers that we were focused on, as opposed to the more academic and tuition type of barriers that you mentioned. And so when we talk about life barriers in the context of this program, we have in mind the types of things that might get in the way of a student's progress that aren't necessarily about a class being academically difficult or a student not being academically prepared, but rather stuff that could get in the way of a student being able to put in the time or attend class regularly or stay focused and motivated. So it could be something very practical like having trouble with childcare or arranging one's work schedule around classes. But it could also be emotional or mental health related, like wondering if you could really do this while taking care of your kids or Mm -hmm. being very stressed out about just having enough money to pay rent. So it was really those kinds of barriers that this program was designed to help students overcome. Right. And those are very real challenges that can disrupt education completely, maybe cause you to drop out or miss classes. But even for people that stay in, it might hinder performance. Exactly. So I think both things might be happening. This program, I guess, is going to address both. The program is called Stay the Course. And as the title of the paper says, this is a case management program. 
What is a case management program? So case management is really the bread and butter services of Catholic Charities Fort Worth, and that's our implementing partner. And they see the critical component of case management as relationship building. So in their model of case management, the case manager works really hard to develop a relationship of trust with the client. And then the theory is that because of that trust, the case manager is able to work with the client effectively on making a plan and helping them carry out a plan to achieve self-sufficiency. And also I should emphasize that they believe quite fervently that case management is not about sending texts or leaving voicemails. So it's not Mm -hmm. a light touch intervention. It's really meant to be about meeting with the person, getting to know the person and working with the person at a very individual level. Okay. And so the clients here are the students. That's right. But who are the case managers? Do they have some sort of training or are they professionals? So that is a good question. So the case managers are Catholic Charities case managers. Okay. For this program, they have an office on campus. So the students will go to their case manager. It wasn't like hidden that they were Catholic Charities case managers, but the students don't have to go to Catholic Charities. So they just go to an office on campus. Uh These folks, like they don't necessarily have a master's degree in social work or anything like that. They go through the Catholic Charities case management training. Okay. So the program itself provided training to the case managers. Right. Exactly. Okay. You find the programs effective. What are the main headline results? Yeah, we use a randomized controlled trial approach. So maybe we can come back to that. But that approach allows us to be confident that we're finding a causal effect of the program on student outcomes. And so what we find is that students who were given access to this stay the course comprehensive case management, they're more likely to persist semester to semester, they accumulated more credits, and ultimately they were more likely to complete an associate's degree in the three years that we followed them. Mm -hmm. Importantly, this positive effect is driven by women. We don't have a great handle on why the program seems to be more effective for women than men, though maybe later we could speculate about that together. Okay. For women, we find that Women who were enrolled in the program were 31 percentage points or three times more likely to earn an associate's degree than women who didn't have access to the program. So that's a really big big, effect. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Wow. I mean, that's great. That's really encouraging. We're going to dig into those results a little bit later, but let's take a step back, think a little bit more about the program and, and also the context that this program was implemented in. This is implemented in a community college. Why is community college important to study? How big of a role does community college play in the larger higher ed space in the US? I have become quite bullish on community colleges when I look at sort of the labor market impacts Uh and how accessible community colleges are. So if we start from the premise that increasing skills and increasing education, educational degree attainment is really the way for people to achieve Mm self-sufficiency. You quickly start to realize that community colleges are really critical institutions in the US in the sense that they're all throughout the country. They serve in a given year about 5.6 million students. Because of their low tuition rates and open access policies, community colleges are accessible to students 
who might face really significant barriers to attending four-year selective schools. Right. In recent data, we see that half of all undergraduate students in the U.S. are actually enrolled in a two-year institution. And furthermore, like I think this one surprised me when I first came across this fact, half of all bachelor's degree recipients were at one point enrolled in a community college. So it would be a mistake too to just think of community colleges as offering two-year degrees because while that's obviously a really critical function, it's also the access point for a lot of people who are going to go on and get a bachelor's degree. Yeah, half is way more than I would have guessed. And that's a critical pipeline into the four-year degree. And we know four-year degrees are quite valuable in the labor market. What do we know about the value of a two-year degree, a two-year associate's degree in terms of earnings potential? In a simple comparison, we know that people who get an associate's degree do have higher earnings than people who just have a high school degree. But a number of papers written by economists, not myself, I'm talking about work by other people, Mm -hmm. has worked to really try and get at what's the causal degree. So if someone has access to a community college for some other reason than their own motivation, does it look like that yields a benefit in the labor market? And I think the studies generally find that it does, and it has a sizable benefit in the labor market. So a recent estimate that works hard to isolate the effect of an associate's degree as opposed to student characteristics, that estimate suggests that an associate's degree yields an earnings premium of about 30% over a high school degree. So it's not as large as a bachelor's degree, but there is a, a sizable boost to earnings for someone who completes an associate's degree, even if they don't go on to get a four-year degree. Yeah, 30% seems big and policy relevant and practically relevant to me. That's the returns to a degree. The intervention that you're studying is also trying to keep people in the two-year program, prevent dropping out. What do we know, if anything, about the costs of starting but not finishing an associate's degree? It's a good question. So. You know, a big worry, of course, with people starting degrees and not finishing is the amount of student debt they're burdened with. That's an issue for some students, but because so many students are attending community college with federal grants or loans, debt seems, in my mind, at least less of an issue. It's more, you know, I think of it, the cost more is really an opportunity cost. People have spent time doing this. And perhaps they just weren't in the right program or they didn't have the right services. And then they just don't get the benefit of it. And so if there are sort of fairly low cost ways to help students persist, Mm -hmm. it's more like just a terrible missed opportunity if we don't help these students get this degree and increase their skills. Yeah, I think that's right. And that's exactly what the intervention you're studying is trying to do. Of course, doing that requires understanding why completion rates are as low as they are. And that means understanding the challenges. And and we already talked a little bit about these life challenges or non-academic challenges that students encounter. I really like how the paper, and I encourage our readers to read the paper carefully, the paper is very clear about the many different types of challenges that students face, including these life barriers. I do think it's worth noting, though, that these life barriers, they're not mutually exclusive. They're happening alongside financial concerns or academic concerns. Is that the right way to think about it? Absolutely. I'm glad you made that point. We don't mean to suggest that, oh, we have to help students overcome life barriers and all of this emphasis on financial barriers or academic is misplaced. Not at all. We approach this project more with the view people have spent a lot of 
time and energy and focus and money addressing those other barriers. And yet we still see that completion rates are low. So again, many of these students go to community college free or near free, and yet they still don't persist. There's all sorts of remedial academic programs to try and help boost their academic preparation, and yet they still don't persist. And so this was more like we're already doing a lot on those fronts. Do we also need to address this other set of challenges in order to really boost completion rates. So it's like this on top of all the other stuff that's already being done as opposed to instead of. Yeah, so it's like a multi-pronged approach addressing all these different concerns. My understanding is that that's exactly what the intervention's doing here. The intervention was developed by the Catholic Charities of Fort Worth Diocese, and they created this case management intervention where each student is assigned a navigator. That's the, the case manager, I guess, we talked about in the intro. I really like the term navigator because it describes what they're doing. They're helping students navigate their way through community college. So do you want to say a little bit about what exactly are they navigating and what other supports are part of this intervention, part of that multi-pronged approach in addition to the case manager? Yeah, so you're totally right that we focused when we were working with them. So let me be clear that this was actually set up as a research demonstration. And that is really powerful from an evidence building perspective, because it means that we worked with our implementing partners to say, let's be really clear about what's happening in the program. So we're testing specific mechanisms. So we were testing this case management intervention and tried to keep it pretty clean, meaning it's not also paying for tuition. It's not also giving incentive bonuses. It's There were two treatment arms. One was the case management, and one we stripped out just one part of the case management, which was emergency financial assistance. So the wraparound case management program that the navigator delivered, what the navigator was doing was offering, for sake of clarifying this, four different types of help. Referrals, mentoring, coaching, and emergency financial assistance. So the referrals is something, again, that the Catholic Charities case managers are used to doing for the clients in their community, which is helping someone by referring them to a place where they could find suitable childcare or transportation subsidies or a food bank or nutritional assistance, those kind of referrals. They also do mentoring, and what we mean by mentoring was, you could think of it almost as like being a sympathetic listener, offering a pep talk. Ex post, when we looked at the case notes, it turns out that mentoring was a much larger component than I think we anticipated, which just goes to show how much students really just feel like they need someone to talk to, to listen to them, to say, I believe in you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the outset, I think if we had to have predicted, we would have thought referrals were a more active component, but the mentoring wound up being a really big component. The coaching, you know, it's slightly different than mentoring in the sense that that was sort of coaching someone, helping them keep track of their deadlines, when they had to register for classes, what classes were required for their program. Mm -hmm. And then the emergency financial assistance we included because there are other programs out there already in existence that just help students overcome small financial shocks they encounter. They need to repair their car so they could get to campus. They need to pay their rent. Otherwise, they have to drop out of school and 
take on more hours at work. So those were meant, the emergency financial assistance was meant to cover unanticipated expenses that might have gotten in the way of the student staying in school. Yeah. And so that was part of the bundle of services. Got it. Well, I think it's really interesting, not only that the mentoring was so important and even the the seemingly small act of having someone to talk to and be a sounding board and state their belief that you can really do this is important. But it's also nice that that's the kind of thing that even though you you and your collaborators weren't necessarily expecting that, this type of research allows you to find those things that you might not have been expecting that we can then build into other programs and other policies. And I think that's a great example of how this sort of attempt to uncover mechanisms is so important over and above just the straight policy analysis or program evaluation piece that you do. Now, you and your team are using an RCT, a randomized control trial, to estimate the causal effect of the intervention. RCTs are known as the gold standard for program evaluation. Why is that? What do we mean by gold standard? And and why is the RCT design so powerful? So the real advantage of the RCT is that we break the self-selection whereby, let's say, a really motivated student seeks out this kind of case management program, and then they do better than the students who didn't seek it out. Maybe some of that is because of the case management, but maybe a lot of it is because those were the really motivated students who went and sought this out. And so the RCT breaks that and helps us overcome that challenge by drawing essentially a lottery and saying, okay, this third of eligible students has access to the case management. So they get an email from the community college saying, hey, we have a new program. We don't have enough slots to serve everyone, but lucky you, you've been randomly selected to have access to this program. And Mm -hmm. then we had another third of the eligible students were randomly assigned just to have access to emergency financial assistance. So they don't have the personal navigators, but should they experience an unanticipated financial shock, they could go to a stay the course office and potentially get access to $500 a semester to help them overcome that challenge. And then the remainder of the ineligible students They don't get access to any additional services. They have, of course, access to all the services the community college was already offering. But we just track them as a comparison. And so that sort of allows us to make sure we're comparing students who are similar, not only demographically or in terms of their academic scores going in, but on all the sort of unobservable things that probably really matter, but as researchers, we can't observe like their level of commitment or motivation, et cetera. Yep. So it lets you get an apples to apples comparison of students who are more or less identical, other than that some get this treatment, this intervention, and some don't. And this was done in Fort Worth, Texas. Is that right? That's right. And so is there anything unique about Fort Worth or the Fort Worth Community College? that we should be aware of or that we should be thinking about as we interpret these results? Yeah, I mean, all of these RCTs, we like to think of them as the gold standard, but of course, whatever we learn from them is very specific to that implementation. So the types of things that were on our mind, 
In terms of a community college, this seems like a pretty typical one. Okay. The student population looks pretty comparable to community college students throughout the country, with the exception that it's heavily um, Latino population. Okay. And so how does that play out with our intervention? Well, one thing that we thought, which we can't test, but maybe that population is more comfortable using a Catholic Charities case manager than a different population would be. To figure out whether that's true, it's going to be really important to... Now, was that actively advertised that this was related to Catholic Charities or would students have to do some digging to find out? That's a good question. I'm not sure how aware of it you know, the students were. Again, I think it's really important to note that they went to just an office on campus. They weren't right. going to Catholic Charities. Yeah. But it's not something we work to deliberately hide either. Right. So. Right, right, right. I don't really know. And that's just one point of the population that's worth mentioning. I have no idea if it actually matters. And but it's why it'll be really important to try and do this in other settings. Right. And the other thing about this community college is the completion rates were really low. So that also means that there's scope to really improve outcomes for students whenever you're starting from a pretty low base. That holds out promise that maybe an intervention could really work. And you're saying lower than other community colleges serving similar populations? Yeah, exactly. Their completion rates were particularly low. Now, the population they serve is pretty disadvantaged economically. So, you know, maybe if you really just cut demographically, it wouldn't look different. And yeah, so it'll be, I think it's important to see if this works in other settings. And it, it sounds like that's something that that's on the radar. That is underway. This intervention was rolled out at one particular campus, Mm -hmm. and it's now being rolled out at other campuses in Fort Worth. And in addition, there's been a number of community colleges and communities throughout the country that have reached out to Catholic Charities Fort Worth and to the Lab for Economic Opportunities at Notre Dame to say, we saw this, we saw a story about this. We are really eager to figure out how to help our students complete and so there's a number of replications. I'm not sure if I'm at liberty to say where and which oh, campus sure, is, sure, sure. but I'm, I'm well, really excited. Well, we'll have excited. to have you back in a couple of years yes. from the, uh, <laughs> when the results of those studies are out uh, to, right. to, to see what happens. That's great. It's great that you were able to promote the findings of the study to the point that community colleges were able to find out about it and reach out to you. You know what's also really interesting is Catholic Charities USA is a it's essentially a trade association. So all of the Catholic charities are individual operations, but they share lessons and they're all looking for ways to, you know, help their clients. And so that network I think is really interesting in terms of service provision. Yep. So other Catholic charities are reaching out to Catholic Charities Fort Worth saying you know, hey, we saw through however Catholic charities share their information about their programming. That's a network, too, where they're trying to pick up on this program and say, hey, we want to try this and see if this helps our community as well. Yeah, now that's important. And that's probably something that a lot of organizations could do better with is, is that type of, of outreach and dissemination of findings. So in the introduction, we noted that the program was incredibly effective for female students at tripled completion rates. Let's dig into those results a little bit more now that we have a a better understanding of the intervention and and the setting in which it was implemented. 
The first thing I was wondering about is what do we learn about why the program worked? And I, I know we talked a little bit about this with the mentoring, but why do we think it worked so well? Yeah, so this is a really good question. And this is the kind of thing, like you said, we designed this to test one mechanism, which was a case management. We only had the sort of sample size or power to pull out one mechanism within that. So we pulled out the emergency financial assistance, basically because of our prior from the literature. We thought that was going to be important, or at least I thought maybe emergency financial assistance, it would be a lot less expensive, but we'd get maybe half the benefits. And so that becomes a cost-effective approach. It turns out that the treatment arm that only offered emergency financial assistance showed no beneficial effects on student outcomes at all. Wow. Yeah, that was surprising and disappointing. The case managers didn't like it, to be honest. We really had to work with them to make sure they kept at it and just say, this is really important for research that we keep at it. It seems in the sort of talking to people who run these kinds of programs, talking to the case managers, they're like, all you're doing is helping someone address one specific problem without getting at the root cause. So they're not getting out of the situation, right? And so maybe that's why emergency financial assistance alone isn't effective. Now, we don't know if case management needs the emergency financial assistance, Right. So we didn't run case management without the emergency financial assistance. So right. maybe the emergency financial assistance was a helpful component of the wraparound, but it certainly doesn't look like it was helpful on its own. One question that comes out of our research, and this is why this is, you know, we need additional research projects now to even tease out the components of case management that seem to be effective, is The mentoring, like I said, anecdotally or from the case notes seems to have been a really something that the students made use of a lot. How much does mentoring work versus, let's say, coaching where you provide really specific information? Like maybe that mentoring relationship is really important to develop a relationship of trust. So the student comes back and visits the case manager, but then what really happens is the navigator makes sure that they sign up for everything on time and get in all their paperwork. Mm -hmm. We need additional research to tease out those types of components. And I think the reason why that's critically important is to figure out how much of this effect could be achieved at a lower cost, though comparably this isn't that expensive. It was like $5,400 per student served for a three-year period. So it's not that expensive compared to other interventions that have documented this kind of effect. But if anything you could do to achieve nearly the same effect for a much lower cost will make it more scalable for community colleges. And so teasing out the components is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And another aspect that contributes to the success of programs like this is take up. I know from my reading of the previous literature, I think that females tend to use these programs more often. They're more likely to meet with the mentor in the first place. What role did differential take up play in, in explaining these results? And how was take up overall was there any focus or incentives that the, that you provided to encourage take up? Yeah, so take up was a thorny issue, as it seems like okay. you would have predicted. So yeah. the first round when we just 
we took all 1,100 eligible students and then sent them an email and said, hey, you have access to the program. There was just very low take up, even like going to the website and saying, yes, I'm interested. Only 20% of students did that. So that becomes a a power, a statistical power issue, right? Because Mm -hmm. the randomization occurred at who had access to this, but some people just never bothered to open the website. Right. And why? I don't know, because students don't read emails from the university, because this was a new program they never heard about. Maybe it just sounded weird and they didn't believe it. But still, I mean, we stuck with that. For the second cohort, instead, we sent out those emails to everyone, say, hey, if you might be interested in a program like this, basically go to this website, and then we did the randomization. Okay. And then you got a majority of students taking it up. Oh, that's smart, yeah. Yeah, that was encouraging to me because it suggests that, oh, it's not that students don't want this once they learn about it. The problem is trying to sort of get this in front of students, right, as something they should consider. Now, even once you have students enrolled in the program, you have the additional issue of, do they actually bother to meet with the case manager? Exactly, yep. And that's something like, we didn't want to you know, sort of bribe them with incentives because it seems like, hey, if this is a useful service, then students should make use of it. But again, the like I said, this case management is really a bread and butter service that Catholic Charities provides. And those case managers are trained and committed to reaching out to students and developing relationships. So it was more on the delivery side that the case managers had benchmarks that they were supposed to reach in terms of this is how many times you actually talk to the student on the phone or you meet with the student in person. And so were the navigators proactive in in following up to get meeting? Okay. Yes. Gotcha. So having engaged high quality navigators clearly seems like it's important a secondary success of the program, I guess, is that Catholic Charities were able to train these navigators and get some good case managers working with students. The other part of take up, or maybe this isn't really take up, but more maybe a mechanism is what's actually happening in those meetings. And one of my favorite figures in the paper shows the different topics of conversation in the meetings. And I just found this fascinating, even at a descriptive level, but I also think it helps us understand, A, what the needs of students are, and B, why the program was successful. And if I read the figure right, only about a third of the individual meetings were about academics, while a quarter were about the practical life roadblocks we've talked about, like things like access to transportation or housing issues. Were you surprised by the different frequencies of conversation topics? So first, I agree with you. I find that figure fascinating, mostly from a descriptive Mm -hmm. perspective, but it's just really interesting to know what are students seeking help on. I actually found the fact that a third were about academics surprising. Now, to be clear, about academics, it's not about academic material. It's, you know, it's about what class am I supposed to take? Yes. And and the reason I found that surprising is because those services are already available at the college. But, you know, as you and I both know, sort of just like navigating a university is hard. Mm-hmm. And so even though those services are in theory or like in practice available at the college, the students still relied on this personal navigator for help with that. 
I expected two other things that surprised me. I expected more issues about childcare. And okay. that was not one of the biggest ones. People came in much more often needing to talk about housing issues. But that just goes to show you how large of a stressor housing is for people who are living at the brink of poverty. Yep. Let's just pause for a moment and note how much worse that is right now during the COVID pandemic. So I right. mean, community college students right now are exceedingly hit by all of these kinds of stressors. And I assume some of your ongoing extensions are in the field right now? Yes. I'm working on a new project with Bruce Sasserdo where we're working with a community college to sort of build on the lessons and stay the course. We've designed an RCT with the community college where the the services are being provided by community college workers themselves as opposed to Catholic charities. But it is now, it's all about helping students enroll and persist with the COVID pandemic looming over them. But we could talk about that later. The other thing I was going to say I was surprised with was that men and women presented with the same topics. And so, Ah. yeah, we pulled that out when we were trying to figure out why does it look like the program was more effective for women? And the first guest, of course, is, oh, well, maybe men just didn't bother meeting with their navigators. Mm -hmm. But it turned out they did. Okay. And then it was like, okay, well, maybe they just didn't really talk to them about stuff that the navigators could help them with. But it turns out men and women presented with the same topics and nearly the same rate. I found that really interesting. Mm-hmm. It leaves open the question, then why were the navigators better able to help women? And this is, again, I think something that additional research will have to take up. One thing I'll note is all of the navigators themselves were women. So uh, okay, maybe the advice just resonated more or maybe the female students were more likely to act on the advice. Mm -hmm. I mean, another possibility that I need to acknowledge is our estimates for men are just in a statistical sense very noisy. And so we don't know for sure that it didn't work for men, but it looks like a gender difference. And that's something we just really, additional research is going to have to push on to figure out a better way to help men persist. Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the future evaluations. We've learned a lot from this intervention about what type of supports community college students need, and this was done at Fort Worth Community College. What advice can community college campuses elsewhere take from your study? I think the main lesson is that a dedicated program of support for students that's personalized, that has individual navigators who you know, meet with students, understand an individual student's plan and needs, they can really help increase completion rates. And this is something that community colleges throughout the country are focused on, trying to increase completion rates. And this intervention shows promise in one type of program that I think is not widely adopted yet. And so as community colleges experiment with various ways to help their students, this is something that they should experiment with in their own campuses, either by trying to replicate something like this in-house or teaming up with a local nonprofit that does this kind of case management work. It will require more resources though, or a a shifting of resources, maybe from other things that are showing less promise. 
right? So, mm-hmm. like, one thing I could speculate on is if you're putting money into an office that does referrals or an office that does coaching or an office that does some other kind of assistance, maybe restructuring that so each student has an individual person rather than having to go to various different offices. Right. That could make a real difference and not require a new outlay, just spending the money in a different way. Yeah. If I can add, I think this idea of individualized case management, we're starting to see evidence from different contexts that it helps, not just in the community college setting, shifting more towards a personalized, longer term relationship model could be really effective and really make a difference. Yeah. Is that like like in social work or are there specific other examples where? For example, my Leo colleagues, Bill Evans and Jim Sullivan, they have another paper also working with Catholic Charities Fort Worth, which looks at just what's a different program called Padua. But that's a similar idea in that when clients come in through the door, they're served with one case manager Mm -hmm. who helps them with their employment, housing, childcare, financial literacy, as opposed to different programs for all of those different challenges. And that Padua model that they've tested seems really effective at increasing rates of self-sufficiency as compared to the more typical model where somebody has to go to different programs or different people because there's, you know what I mean, for different buckets. Yeah. Well, it's just way more efficient. One-stop shopping to... Yeah. Yeah. And I know universities and colleges have eight different places to go to get help, and that can be good, but that can also cause confusion. Okay, so I think it's pretty clear then that community colleges and campus systems definitely can adopt similar programs or partner with local foundations or charities that are good at providing this type of case management. How does this translate to the state or federal policy level, though? Is, is there anything that the Department of Education can take away from this or state politicians and policymakers? Yeah, I think this speaks to the power of resources. Mm -hmm. And one thing we know is that community colleges just have far fewer resources per student than more selective four-year schools that get much better outcomes. And so basically the institutions that are serving the students with the greatest level of need you know, have the lowest level of resources to serve them. And so in my mind, this suggests two things. One, with, you know, some intervention that's, again, high touch, but not that expensive, you could make a real impact. So there's real bang for your buck if we gave more resources to these community colleges to spend well serving students. And so I think this really, really underscores the need for more state and federal funding to community colleges. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that state budgets are under huge pressures. It's not like states have a lot of extra money to throw around. Mm -hmm. And so I think this probably really does require more federal money, either directly to community colleges or to states for the states to spend on their institutions of public higher education. Right. But the bottom line is that it's cost effective. And if the money's there, this is a good way to spend it. And there are certainly worse ways to spend it. A hundred percent. This is cost effective. And by our calculations and, you know, in six years in the labor market, the students have 
their benefits in terms of their additional earnings outweigh the costs, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and there's lots of social benefits to having people with degrees and higher earnings. Obviously, they pay more in taxes, but you could spin that out and it doesn't take long before there's a very, you know, high positive social rate of return on this kind of investment. You're exactly right. Yeah, for sure. That's a great way to wrap up our conversation. Is there any anything we missed that you wanted to say or, or one final take-home point that you want the audience to leave with? I'm really glad that Jay Pam is publishing this and that you're highlighting it. We didn't nail everything. We don't know exactly why this worked. We don't know exactly why it worked for women more so than men, but I think it's really important to get this evidence out there so other researchers can build on this and we could continue building a body of evidence for how to increase rates of college completion. Yeah, well said. I agree. Our guest today has been Dr. Melissa Carney, the Neil Moskowitz Professor of Economics at the University of Maryland. Her paper on the impact of the Stay the Course program in Fort Worth Community Colleges is available in the fall 2020 issue of JPAM, and a link to the paper is on the podcast website. Thanks again for taking the time to talk to us today about your important paper. Thank you so much. And thanks to our listeners. Until next time, this is Seth Gershenson of American University signing off. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of JPAM, the Journal of Policy Analysis and Management, in conjunction with American University's School of Public Affairs. Please follow us on the APAM website and search for the JPAM podcast.